This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Letter from the Bureau, a special series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm your host, SD's foreign editor, Bhagyashri Gareka. Now, the letter from the Bureau is like a scenic detour from news that keeps hitting the headlines. Wars, summits, elections, earthquakes, all kinds of trouble. We talk about life as it goes on amid all the crises. I chat each month with one of the Straits Times correspondents in the Asia-Pacific, the US and Europe. And they share with you interesting trends and events unfolding in their countries. In our 21st episode, we are speaking with ST's correspondent in Australia, Jonathan Perlman. It's good to have you on the show, Jonathan. Thanks, Bhagya. Now, you wrote something very interesting recently. You talked about how a very sports-obsessed Australia is now determined to become a top player in the field of arts and culture as well. Now, tell us a bit about why exactly your prime minister feels so passionately about arts and culture. Now, I know that he's known more as a rugby fan. That's right. So our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, who was elected in May, he's from the Labor Party and defeated the coalition, which had been in power for a long time. He is definitely um, an unashamed fan of rugby league. He said he was born a fan of his league's club called the, the Rabbitohs. They're a Sydney club. And that is definitely not put on. I mean, he is, he is a huge fan who's been involved with that club for a long time. So he's a big sports fan. But, you know, some prime ministers in Australia have championed their um, passion for sports, which works well for them politically. But a passion for arts doesn't always work well politically or isn't seen to. It's seen as some hmm. um, sort of, you know, making the leader seem, seem part of an elite and, uh, and disconnected from from everyday working families who I suppose, um, I mean, it's a ridiculous perception because it assumes that, you know, everyday working families um, aren't interested in, in, in the arts and, and, of course, you know. They don't they read aren't. books, they don't go to movies. Exactly. Hmm. But that's been a kind of stereotypical approach that politicians have taken and Albanese is a little bit different because despite his passion for, for rugby league, he's also very passionate about the arts. He represents an electorate which is in inner city Sydney and is, you know, is itself, you know, filled with artists and, and musicians and arts venues. So he has sort of never shied away from this. He's a huge music fan. His nickname is Albo Albanese. Mm. You know, he's commonly known as Albo and he, he, he's sort of known as DJ Albo because he's gone on oh. to radio shows and even at bars and DJed his favourite music. So he makes no attempt to, to shy away from his passion for the arts, which is a little bit new and refreshing um, in recent Australian politics. Right. So as far as Australia goes, I mean, everybody knows of the Hollywood stars and the singers and so on. So we know Kylie Minogue, we know Kate Blanchett, Mel Gibson, of course. But give us an idea now of what is the art scene in Australia like? How big is it, for instance? Yes, it's 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 big. It's a huge part of Australia and part of the Australian economy, even if it's not, you know, not necessarily sufficiently valued always by policymakers. According to the government, the industry is worth about seventeen billion dollars and employs a total of four hundred thousand people. You know, and for every Kylie Minogue, you know, there's plenty of 
singers across the country who who are less well known. And, you know, it's interesting to mention people like her or, or someone like, say, Kate Blanchett or Mel Gibson, who you mentioned. You know, they went to NIDA, which is a top performing arts school in Sydney. There's a number of performing arts schools in Australia which have really produced many, many great actors, directors over the years. Some of them remain in the theatre because that's their passion and so they don't become well-known like like a Kate Blanchett or a Hugh Jackman. But it's a very big scene covering all the arts and it, it definitely extends beyond just sort of Kylie and Mel Gibson. Right. But what about, say, writers? I'm trying to think of a top Australian writer, uh, you know, a Nobel Prize winner or a yeah, it's recent Booker winner. Interesting. Richard Flanagan yeah. won the Booker Prize. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's been a long time since an Australian won the Nobel Prize for Literature. I think the only one was Patrick White many years ago mm. and who's probably not that well known today outside Australia. There's been a few a few attempts to nominate Australians. There was a, an incredible Australian poet named Les Murray who died quite recently and, you know, obviously poetry is itself a kind of rarefied and refined world, which doesn't necessarily... And a difficult sell. Yeah. Yeah, a difficult sell anywhere in the world, That's right. I'd say, yeah. But he, he was recognised as one of the greatest poets, you know, when he was still living, one of the great living poets. Oh. He's really worth looking up. His, his mastery of language is incredible. You know, he lived in rural Australia and yet he would sort of be acclaimed by the New York Times. So he was well known and was there were, there were moves to nominate him for the Nobel Prize. There's a very strong literary scene, but in some ways maybe it's due to the publishing industry. It has been harder for some of those writers to break through abroad. Hmm. But the poet, yeah, he certainly sounds like someone I'd want to read. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us now, what are DJ Elbow's plans to raise... Australia's arts profile. Yes, so he and his arts minister went to, um, well, in characteristic form really, went to a pub in Melbourne, which is well known for mm. as a sort of live music venue, and released this new policy. They called it Revive, which was a sort of play on words because partly it's about reviving the live performing scene after COVID, which was, you know, obviously artists were really, you know, hit terribly hard during COVID, during lockdowns. But also because the coalition had cut a lot of arts funding, it's about sort of reviving the sector in the wake of coalition cuts. There's a number of important policies. One thing is they're putting a lot of money into it, about $300 million into a new body called Creative Australia, which will fund new projects. And, you know, that's across all fields of the arts. There's also, I think, an important move to try to get streaming services like Netflix to have a quota, to have a minimum quota of Australian content. Now, that's something that's always applied to commercial television stations and has resulted in shows like Neighbours, which produced Kylie Minogue and Guy mm. Pearce. You know, those commercial TV stations had to make Australian shows and it's not applying now to the streaming services, which is a little bit antiquated. So I think that will make a difference. And there's also moves to build some new art galleries and museums. Also, I think a really great project is they're funding plans to get the major galleries and museums in places like Melbourne and Sydney to tour their works, particularly to regional areas, which often have less access to Australian culture and to galleries. So there's a, there's a number of policies in place. We'll have to see how it, how it unfolds. 
Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now, let's get back to my conversation with Jonathan Perlman, the Straits Times man in Australia. Creative Australia has a nice ring to it. But is there a straight-up commercial reason for why Mr. Albanese wants to revive the arts? Yeah, I think there is. You know, this, the scene itself, as we've seen, that $17 billion figure, it generates money, generates jobs. Scott Morrison, the former Prime Minister, who who was more sort of on the on the sports side and not so much on the arts side, famously funded some money into the arts but tried to sell it as a way to help electricians and carpenters who were going to build stages. It wasn't so much about helping the arts. But the truth is that building the sector generates a whole lot of flow-on jobs in hospitality. If we have big live festivals here that attract people from, from around the world, well, that obviously produces jobs in the tourism and hospitality sectors. So there are strong commercial reasons. We've also seen you know, some of these Australian shows like, like Neighbours, which, which ran for years, particularly in, in Britain, but also some children's shows like Bananas in Pajamas and, and Bluey. High Five? Yeah, High Five. Exactly. High Five, I think. <laughs> There's a great children's, kind of children's arts scene in Australia and, and it's produced some, you know, some great shows, musicians, bands. So, so that, brings in, that brings in money. And I think finally there's a there's question of, of image and reputation. Australia's just won the rights to hold its third Olympic Games. It's going to be one of the few mm. countries that's held three Olympics. Wow. You know, does Australia just want to be seen as a sports nation or do we want to be seen as something more than that? And I think that if you promote the arts and culture scene in a country, it does help to broaden the country's reputation. And so I think that's, that's really important as well. Right. You spoke of electricians and plumbers and helping them. But, you know, what about the starving artist? I mean, they are found everywhere. You know, it's, it's almost, there, there's a certain romanticism associated with that image, whether they are painters or writers and whatnot. So with Mr. Albanese's new policy, what kind of difference are you expecting to see on that? Does any money reach directly or help the artist directly? So there have been criticisms that the policy doesn't go far enough. And there were some calls to trial something that's being done in, in Ireland at the moment, which is giving a basic minimum wage, you know, these calls for a basic minimum wage. So setting up basic minimum wages for artists, like choosing a number of artists and giving them just a basic wage. It's not even very much, but mm. just enough so that they won't be starving. It is astounding how little some artists in Australia are making. How little? Well, there have been studies about analysis, particularly of writers and authors mm-hmm. who are making as little as sort of four or five thousand dollars a year. Wow. And so, wow. That, that, yeah. Okay. There's very, very little money in it. Um, and, you know, th- th- these people are either either taking second jobs or seeking, you know, sort of some welfare support, or a lot of yeah. them are relying on partners if they, you know, if they have partners who, who work. Right. Uh, but, right. but, you know, they're not, they're not living it up. And, you know, we sure. hear about best selling authors, but most aren't. So, you know, and I think you'd find that a lot in the music and theatre scene and especially within, you know, in the music scene, live streaming has really sort of changed the economics of the music industry um, in ways that don't always help artists. So there are a lot of struggling artists. I think there's probably more that the government 
could have done, but this is a start or it seems to be a start and certainly the extra funding hopefully will filter out to to some of the new and upcoming voices in Australia. So if they were given the minimum wage, how much would that be? My guess is that it would be maybe eight or nine hundred Australian dollars a week, which doesn't get you mm-hmm. that far in, in in a big city in Australia with rent soaring right. and inflation soaring. So we're not talking about huge sums of money, but we're just talking about basic amounts that would allow artists, you know, give them the opportunity to kind of practice practice their craft. Hmm. Yep, that sounds like something that should be done. And I'm sure the artists in Australia have received that idea with, with some sort of welcome. Mm. Well, it's been very interesting talking to you, Jonathan. Thanks, Bagia. Thank you, Jonathan. And with that, it's a wrap from Letter from the Bureau. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to read Jonathan's column, we have a link for you in our podcast description box. And you will also find there a link to other stories in our Letter from the Bureau series. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.